250 episodes. I know, it's been what? Five years of content? Yes, we've had our ups, we've had our downs. So, so many downs. Too many, too many really. But 250. We never thought we'd get this far. I mean, we kind of thought episode 113 would be the last. Mm, Yes, that was when you went off to Bucharest. The first time. Indeed, but we continued. Well, we persevered. Uh, Things were never really the same. We do not mention the trip to Transylvania. Uh, Well, no, no, we don't. I was going to say things were never the same after we got infested with brain worms, but if you want to give the game away as to why we only record at night. In other news, well, actually, I don't have any other news other than golly gee willikers, it's episode 250. Mm, Time to play the theme? Time to play the party theme. Hey, it's the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Edison, sitting next to me, Dr. M. Irix Dentith, and you, listener, are listening to the 250th episode of this podcast, more or less. The 250th official one. Yes. There's been the little little wibbly ones in between that don't really count. Yeah, the numbering of this podcast has been a little bit weird. A little bit like the Gregorian calendar, really. Sometime back in the 15th century, there were a few numbers mixed around. There are, in fact, 17 episodes of the podcast, which Mm. were just done away with by a pope. I mean, that's quite the story, but we cannot get into it here and now. Now, as mentioned last week, Josh has had, since the episode went on hiatus, both a Christmas, a special Josh Christmas, his own particular Mm. type of Christmas, not the standard one. Unique to me and me alone, yeah. And also a fairly generic birthday, which Mm. everybody shared, but no one recognises other than Josh. Now, last week, I gave Josh his Christmas gift. This week, appropriately, I'm giving him his birthday gift. Mm. I don't know why I said it that way. There you go, old man. Old man. Open it as noisily as I can. Pouring out my my cast strength whiskey. It's critical adding to the microphone for good measure. It's true, otherwise people at home will not realise it's an actual event which is occurring in stage. actual thing that is happening. It's not... In stage? On stage. On stage. On air. No, that was not fancy foley work, or that technically was, I suppose. But there we go, that's a present. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, I don't think we need to pass no. any comment on the content of that box, do no, we? No, and I'm sure it's not relevant uh, to what's going to happen in this episode at all. Not at all, but this is an exciting episode, because mm. this is episode 250. And as I say, we kind of thought things were coming to an end when I went to Bucharest the first time. Mm, but then um, technology came to the rescue after a fashion, and we sort of did a whole bunch of bunch of Skypey episodes, which we'll probably be doing a bit more of as you go travelling all around the country slash world this year. Yes, there is a lot of travelling going on in the first half of this year. An awful lot of travelling. Mm. So with any luck, we'll be able to pull it off again. That's our specialty. It's true. Mm. But now we're still together in the same place at the same time. So we're going to pull off another podcast. Mm. Should we, should we do it now? Yeah, let's tug let's, away at, this week's, to- at yep. this week's topic. Mm.
Last week we talked about the Rendlesham Forest incident in which a supposed UFO sighting or landing was meant to explain a series of weird events in Rendlesham Forest on the 26th of December 1980. However, a recent true crime serial, The Whisperer in Darkness, part of the Mystery Machine series of podcasts, ends up shining a new light on the matter. According to the Mystery Machine serial, presented by Matthew Haywood and Kennedy Fisher, the events in Rendlesham Forest might be explicable with regards to an attempt at the Babylon working. In their account, an occult group performed a summoning ritual on the night of the 26th of December, the consequences of which are not just weird lights in the sky, but a series of even stranger events which continue to this day. So how do number stations, occult groups, a secretive government department, and the work of pioneering rocketeer Jack Parsons fit into the Rendlesham Forest incident? Well, in this, our 250th special episode, prepare to find out. Yes, so this, this episode of our podcast is about another podcast. This is not the first time we've no, covered not. true crime podcasts with yeah. a slightly conspiratorial bent. And this is certainly one of the more interesting, this is an interesting ones. One. Yes, yes. And that it does some of the events we're about to describe do stretch credulity to a certain extent. Somewhat, yes, yes. Now, this is a recent BBC podcast. Um and it deals in part with the Rendlesham Forest incident. So that's why we, we, we hinted obliquely last week that doing the Rendlesham uh, uh, incident podcast episode was part of a larger plan. And now this week that plan a comes to fruition. if you will. Uh, yes. I mean, we weren't really, we were really doing it in secret. It. No. 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 A very half-baked conspiracy, mm. if you will. So tell me about this podcast then. Why are we talking about it today? Well, we're talking about it because it features a whole bunch of things which kind of tick boxes when it comes to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. We've got secretive government departments, we've got numbers station broadcasts, and we've got long-ranging conspiracies, in this case over hundreds of years. But the story itself starts off actually kind of small and insignificant. So the previous serial that the Mystery Machine did looked into what was a locked room mystery, the curious case of Charles Dexter Ward, who was locked in an asylum room and then one day wasn't there anymore. And that led to a rather interesting journey to Providence, Rhode Island, and an investigation into this person called Joseph Kerwin, who seemed to believe he had the ability to reincarnate over time, which it seems that a young Charles Dexter Ward kind of fell into the trap of believing that story. Mm. And so that story went in some fairly unusual directions. And it seems that the producers of the Mystery Machine podcast went, we want something a little bit more sedate, Mm. a little less weird. And it should be said, of course, that not only it went in some fairly conspiratorial directions as well, because they did end up uh, in their research um, suggesting that some of these people believe they belong to a a cult, uh, a secret society. That uh, worships an entity called Ikuaya. Although we'll come back to that that later later on, because it's salient to this discussion. So yes, I mean, so it got conspiratorial straight away with with talk of secret cults and weird things going on, but... um, 
Yes, then they thought, well, let's 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 dial things back a bit, I think, and uh, started investigating what appeared to be a fairly fairly humdrum missing persons case. Yes, yeah, so this is the disappearance of Henry Akeley, who one day just gets up and leaves. Although as the podcast investigation continues, it seems he doesn't get up and leave; he simply disappears completely. But he leaves behind a whole bunch of recordings of things which he heard on his shortwave radio, including a very unusual numbers station broadcast. Now, we've covered numbers stations in the we past have. on this podcast. It'll be the last time we covered a numbers station on this podcast. The YouTube video got pinged for a copyright strike. It did a little bit, yes. We, we included a clip um, from an actual numbers station. Using fair use. Uh, well... Was it if, if if it's the whole clip, then is it fair use, even though it's a short clip? Oh, good good Possibly point. Maybe we actually were rightfully pinged for copyright, yes. but it doesn't matter. We've actually created our own number station Ooh. broadcast. So to get an idea of what a number station listen listens like, sounds yeah, like, sounds like, sounds like yeah. why not, after the chime, consider the following words? Six, six, nine, zero. Now, number stations have a kind of long history in the world of conspiracy theories because no one's entirely sure what they are, or at least when they know what they are, why they continue to broadcast, because most of them do date back to the Cold War mm. or earlier. So there's a question as to why some of them are still broadcasting to this day. And of course, given the role of number stations in the past, which was transferring messages on using kind of cryptic clues and code books, what are they broadcasting about now? And Akeley has a rather unusual number station recording, which initially everyone thinks mentions the word Babylon, but actually is referring to something called Babylon. Now, I realize in a Kiwi accent, it's going to be kind very difficult yes. to tell the difference. So Babylon, as in the city, is not being referred to here. It's Bar-Bar-Lon. Yes, with, a, with an A in, in place of the Y. Um, which gets you in another conspiratorial, conspiratorial direction altogether, because that's, that's, all your, that's your Alistair Crowley sort of magic stuff, isn't it? And particularly... Pioneering rocketeer Jack Parsons. Mm. So Jack Parsons, as we've yeah. talked about in previous episodes. Jack Parsons is a very famous individual in the annals of rocketry because his work with Caltech, basically before World War II and during World War II, led to the massive movement we got with NASA and the like and rocketeering in the U.S. But one of the weird things about Jack Parsons' rocketeer is that Jack Parsons was also practitioner of the old sex magics. Mm. It, was, it was a weird thing, because back then, when they were first sort of working on it, being a rocketeer was kind of like saying you were an alchemist. Like it, yeah, it, it, it was, was a hobbyist position of people basically engaging in using explosives to make things fly into the air yeah. in a way which wasn't necessarily governed by any code or scientific practice. And it was people like Parsons who actually went, no, we've got to kind of codify what we're doing mm. here. Yeah, but in the same way that, uh, say, Isaac Newton, while being 
sort of one of the one of the fathers of modern science also was an alchemist himself and believed in slightly sort of weird supernatural stuff these guys were kind of kind of of the same cloth while they were doing genuine science they were also as they, they thought practicing magic and indeed jack parsons was to his own mind actually practicing magic because he was an acolyte of one alistair crowley he was also very good friends with a young Al Ron, Ron Hubbard, Hubbard at yes, the time. And yeah, that's, a, that's another story yeah. for another time. Mm. But basically, Hubbard did the dirty on Parsons and ran away with a very large amount of his money. Cue now legal threats from the Church of Scientology. Indeed. Um, now, bringing this back to the podcast... Um, the number station appears to be originating somewhere in the region of RAF Woodbridge. And <clears throat> in the podcast it comes out that um, Mr. Akeley is located close by to Rendlesham Forest and where the Rendlesham Forest incident came in and so on. And it's and it is that particular incident that becomes um, central to a large part of the podcast. And this is because Akeley, with a whole bunch of other people like Thomas Marsden, were involved in a coven back in the 80s led by one Amelia Fenner. And whilst they were engaged in their covenish work, they tried to attempt the Babylon working, a working that Jack Parsons either successfully or unsuccessfully attempted back in the in 1946 between January and March. Yeah. Now the Babylon Babylon working see even to my ear it's hard to distinguish between mm. Babylon and Babylon. The Babylon working was a ritual designed to summon an elemental force Babylon which Parsons felt was at least somewhat successful in that as soon as they finished the initial part of the working, he met his future wife, Marjorie Cameron, and through her attempted to incarnate Babylon in form through the act of having sex. Yes, because eventually a lot of these decolty things just all kind of end up in an excuse to get laid, really. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's something I mean, we yeah, see. Uh, I mean, that's true of quite, quite a lot, lot of, of magical. I mean, not all magical rituals require having a bit of sex at the end, but there is quite a lot of it in in certain aspects and of one paganism. If, if that's actually a necessary um, aspect of it, or or these people aren't stupid and have found an excuse to have a bit of fun, but no, no. what better way to finish our summoning ritual than a, a light bit of frottage? Mm. Uh, so the contention of this podcast is that a young Henry Akeley, among others, um, attempted a Babylon working of their own on the wee, in the wee hours of the morning on December the 26th, 1980, in Rendlesham Forest. Which then explains the strange lights that the members of the RAF and the US Air Force saw at the time, and is also meant to explain other weird events that have happened subsequently. Mm. So the claim is that they were trying to um, summon something, and that something was summoned, but um, exactly the, the, the nature of this, and whether or not that turned out to be a good thing or a bad thing. And now, it is stressed by the remaining... Is it just, it's just member of the coven, isn't it? There's only one person left yes. after 
Barbara Sayers kind of disappears from the scene, mm. that they started the ritual, but they never completed it. And this is meant to cause a kind of breach in reality, a tear in the fabric of reality itself, which explains all the other weird events that have happened subsequently in that region. And at least according to the surviving member of the coven, Thomas Marsden, also might explain to a certain extent what happened to poor Henry Akeley. Mm. That Henry Akeley is hearing things, and maybe those things are part of that rupture in reality. Although I suppose now we're talking about ruptures in reality, we need to go quite a way back in time and talk about John Dee. Mm. Uh, John Dee was... Would you call him a wizard? I don't, would he call himself a wizard? A magician, I suppose. Actually, he would have called himself a spy master, because, I mean, mm. most of his work was actually for the royal court transferring yes. information from, well, into France and out of France for the ink... 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 I can't even say English court, apart mm. from when I just said English court yes. right there. Speech fluency is a really weird thing. Mm. So he was actually mostly a spy master. But he was also quite fond of Enochian magic and Enochian magic systems because, like Parsons and rocketry and sex magics at the same time, being a spy master and a proto-scientist didn't actually exclude you from also doing things like mm. magic back in the day. Now, D is, according to some, somewhat famous for translating a book called the Necronomicon mm. into English. Sounds sinister. Yeah, so the Necronomicon is apparently a book by a Middle Eastern author uh, who in around about 700 ACE, uh, sorry, this person's name is Al-Hazred, went to Nineveh to find the secrets of Ipkuaya, yes. which relates the entity back, supposedly yeah. worshipped by these culty people. From the curious case of Charles Dexter Ward. Mm. And the fact that Ipkuaya had some kind of ability to resurrect itself over time. So Al-Hazred is trying to find the secret of Ipkuaya's immortality. And in the desert it is alleged, and we have to say alleged here quite a lot, because there's some, yep. there's some big questions here about this particular character and the book he wrote, he finds a pre-human advanced race of elder beings who apparently also live beyond some kind of portal. So they're not actually resident on Earth, they're resident somewhere else. And they teach him how to contact them remotely so he doesn't have to go to Nineveh all the time to find out the, se the secrets of Ipkuaya. And then Al-Hazred writes these things down in this book called the Necronomicon, and then at some point later in his life is ripped apart by unseen forces in Mecca and basically disappears from history. Yes, that's the story. Now, the thing which makes this awkward is that it's actually very debated as to whether the Necronomicon actually exists or not. Indeed. I mean, it's weird that's come up. There was a... Wasn't there a, a bookshop here in Auckland? Pathfinders. Yeah. Yes, there used to be a magic bookstore here. I don't mean magic as in really great. Yeah. I mean a bookstore which actually specialised in, yeah. in magical texts, spiritual texts and the like. And they had copies of the Necronomicon, which were all different, 
all attributed to different writers and translators, all of which contained different text and diagrams inside, which has led people to go, the Necronomicon is a very useful name for, I've just written a book of magic and want to make it sound old and ancient, I'll call mm. it Necronomicon, because there's no such book for people to actually verify or check. No. Yeah, I mean, as a name, it's, it's almost a bit of a cliche a little bit, I suppose. There was, um, who was that fella back in the 20s? He wrote, wrote books... Oh, the, yeah. Uh, initials, two initials. Name such with a kind of so HP. HP Lovecraft. Yeah, HP Lovecraft. So, yeah, he's an author. Actually, quite awkward to read these days because he's actually quite racist. A lot of racism. Like, it was being written in the 1920s, but even even for the time. He was considered to be a, a bit of an avant garde racist. Of, a lot of his then. horror involves. Sort of, um, sort of uh, miscegenation breeding with with, with sort of n n the subhuman breeds or hatred of the people Joe. people devolving into yeah. his um, his descriptions of these sort of horrible uh, big lipped fishy creatures do sound a lot like sort of Jim Crow era stereotypes well, yeah. of Car African Americans Car and so caricatures on. of Negroids. No, mm. people listening, I just put quote marks around that word. It's yes, not a. Not no. one for polite conversation no, these days. Not at all. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and he 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 seems to use the Necronomicon there as a kind of pan panacea to explain anything he wants to explain. So I mean this notion of a Necronomicon existing has has been part of both religious studies and fiction writing for a long time. But apparently John Dee was responsible for an English translation of this particular text. And he was the one who kind of brought the text into the south of England, into the area around Rendlesham. Mm. And not just that, apparently, and this is all alleged, because it's not part of the official history of John Dee in any way, shape or form, he created covens around the area which actually inscribe the sig the sigil of the Babylon working. Mm. Now we should now this this is all stuff that um, that uh, uh, Hayward and Fisher talk about in the podcast. Uh, obviously, they're fairly uh, skeptical. Fairly skeptical. Yep. They do. They consult. Um, what is it? Uh, Eleanor Pick. She's the she who, who sort of becomes the the voice of skepticism. Um, in the podcast, doesn't she? she yeah, she although, sort of is a is an it's kind of a person who studies occultist as a and sort of folklore academically, not believing any of it, and and so is very much around sort of giving, you know, this is what these people believe, and sort of spells it all out, but um, does not drink the Kool Aid herself. Yeah, although I'm I'm a little bit worried about this whole Eleanor Peck character, so. As listeners to this podcast will know, and for a new listener, you're about to find out something which other people already know, I'm a research academic in philosophy with contacts all over the world, and I've put out feelers in the UK for experts on witchcraft, cults, and the like. There doesn't appear to be anyone called Eleanor Peck who is doing work in this particular field, which either means that Haywood and Fisher have created someone to basically express academic views, yeah. or, and I think this is actually more plausible, Peck did not want to be referred to by her real name. Ah, yes. Because the, I mean, even though she goes out of her way throughout the podcast to 
express the I don't believe this stuff, but you're asking me to be a kind of devil's paraclete here to express what do these people believe. The editing of the podcast does sometimes make it sound as if she's talking about things she sincerely believes to be true, and so she might have gone, no, no, just just don't use my actual name. Just mm. refers to me as something else. They do have a bit of fun with her as well. When she, they do. There are yes. points where she's like, oh, for God's sake, you're not going to use that as the quote, are you? This is just, I'm not saying this is a thing that's going to happen. And then the theme plays. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, but she, she actually is the one who kind of, uh, while, while at the same time sort of saying she doesn't believe any, and it puts out the whole conspiracy theory going forward. And it, it sort of, as well as you've got your... your, your um, Central American deity Ipkuaya, um, and then other fig- other weird names like this. This uh, one figure called Nyalathotep, who's this supposedly might have been the thing summoned by the Babylon working or something. And then this uh, elder god called Azathoth, who it's thought is dr- we, we, the whole world is a dream of this god, and the workings of it that these things are doing are going to wake up the god, which will, of course, cause our world to um, cease to exist, which is the plot to Zelda Link's Awakening on the Nintendo Game Boy, as I recall. Which I'm currently it's... playing the Switch version thereof, though oh, in that case it's the, it's, the, it's the fish egg entity thing. I can't yeah. remember its name. Wind. But no, yes, yes. Uh, the idea that if the fish wakes up, the world ceases to exist, which is actually what Link has to do to mm. actually... In, it, it's all, it's it's all very meta, yeah. and that explains why there are Mario characters in a Link's game. But that we're not here to talk about the podcaster's guide to The Legend of Zelda, mm. unless, of course, patrons re- really want us to, at which point maybe we will. Yes, you're, you're more the Nintendo person than I am, so I'd have to defer. But anyway, yes, you're right. Um, so, the, so basically, the, the conspiratorial uh, claims being made by this podcast get fairly wide-ranging because it's not just they claim that we have these uh, the, these these pagan, Wiccan, whatever cults working towards it. Then they also bring in sort of weird secret government departments mm. who are sort of working to thwart them at the same time. It gets another layer on top. Because James I was working in the court of Elizabeth I. The successor to Elizabeth I, James I, who didn't like Elizabeth, also didn't like John Dee. And so James I, who quite famously set up a whole bunch of purges of witches in the UK, and was actually quite active in the whole witch hunting thing himself, basically wants to get rid of all the infrastructure John Dee has been working on. And so you get your witch finder general and the witch purges and witch hunt and witch trials and the like. And as they're going through this process of creating an infrastructure to get rid of Dee's influence, a kind of quasi-in-those-days-government department emerges, which eventually gets called the Department of Works. And the Department of Works' entire reason for existence, according to Peck, is to prevent things like the Babylon working from ever occurring on the notion that if the theory that the universe is but a dream of the elder god Azathoth, then you don't want them waking Azathoth up via things like the Babylon working. So you have a long-ranging conspiracy to stop occult groups like this attempting rituals of this particular type because there's a possibility that if they're right, then the world is going to end. Mm, mm. Um, 
I, mean, I should point out they, uh, the one point of reference that Peck does make is that the only real evidence we have for the Department of Works is during World War II when they were crucial in fighting Nazi occultism. Now, of course, Nazi occultism was a very big issue. I think we've talked about in previous episodes Some as well. will debate as to how big mm. an issue it really was. So they were operating at least up until the late 40s. The claim in the podcast that they're actually still operating today. And I mean, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to give away the end of the podcast. You mm. go listen to The Whisperer in, in Darkness. But there's some interesting links between Aikley's disappearance and exactly what the Department of Works, or these days the Department, is said to be up to. Mm. Um, I think that, and I think that's about the size of it, really. So, whereas we spent last week um, pretty much debunking um, the various claims about the Rendlesham incident and saying they can all be explained in fairly mundane terms, we then have this Mostly podcast, a lighthouse. Yep, uh, we have this podcast which basically goes in the opposite direction and spins and out quite a direction because we're going away from UFOs to something more like demonic entities. Mm reality-altering elder gods. And now, admittedly, there's always been a branch of Fortiana and ufology, which has gone the folkloric route and gone, well, UFOs are simply a scientistic description of old phenomena. So basically, your spectres, your witches and the like are now interpreted as alien beings zipping around in spaceships. And so there's always always been a branch of Fortiana, which has gone, well, actually, tears in reality explain everything from lights in the sky to cryptids that crawl upon the land. But no, this is a, uh, this is a most interesting hypothesis. Now, we're not going to pass judgment upon it. We should go away and listen to the Whisper in Darkness and form your own opinions. But the actual conspiracy part is kind of fascinating mm. because... It is vaguely plausible to think that as you moved from the pre-scientific era in the UK to the formation of things like the Royal Society and the like, which was filled with your Isaac Newtons who practiced alchemy on the side, that you can kind of see an attitude towards the supernatural being baked into institutions in the UK and maybe it's possible that there's an institution out there to this day that still takes claims like that seriously, or at least doesn't take them seriously as in professors to believe them, but takes them seriously enough to go, if they were true, then we probably should do something about them. Mm. That said, though, this this does seem to be one of those conspiracy theories that uh, it's, it's, it sort of balloons, it just gets bigger and bigger the more they look at it. So you have this um, this, this case of what, what they call the case of the Whisperer in Darkness ends up being related to the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Um, and, then the, and then they sort of end up bringing in other things. I think at the end they're talking about, it's suggesting it's involved in the destruction of a town called Innsmouth as well, I think. Well, no, Dunnage. Oh, Dunnage, yeah. sorry, yeah, Dunnage. Yeah. Innsmouth is Innsmouth where the podcast is, is going, going next apparently. after that, yeah. Uh, so, so it sort of it manages to it, it 
it's almost like it's sort of, you know, trying to be one of those grand theory of everything type podcasts that just sort of pulls all this weird supernatural stuff in together and then tries to explain it as the workings of one particular cult within a cult within a cult. There's sort of, you know, layers of who exactly knows what what and who's really aware of the true purpose of what they're doing and so on and so on and so on. It's sort of, it um, almost gets a little ungainly at times, but it's uh Well, yes, and that's actually one. a point that Peck makes. In one of the episodes, she critiques conspiracy theories for this kind of accretion of data, making the theories bigger and bigger and thus harder to disprove. Now, we've talked about that particular move about conspiracy theories in past episodes. I don't think that's true of all conspiracy theories. It does seem true with this one, however. It does. Um, so I think there you go. So... A rival hypothesis, I guess, for yeah. um, Rendlesham, what Rendlesham was all two. about. Yeah, yeah. So an interesting, an interesting story. Definitely think you should go and listen to the Whisper in Darkness. It's on uh, BBC's series of podcasts. Yes, if you've got access to iPlayer, you can listen to it via that, or it's available via iTunes, any, yeah, Spotify, any or any particular podcast mm. app that you might decide to use. Yeah. Um, so, episode two fifty, eh? It's How all over and done with. Now, normally at this point, we announce what our patrons are going to hear about, but our patrons have a, a special secret episode coming up, and we're not going to reveal the content of that now. Mm. If you want to hear the patron bonus episode for this episode, or indeed any patron bonus episode for any episode that we produce, although there was a period of time we weren't producing bonus episodes at all, so... <laughs> But the ones you get we the have idea. produced, yes. then you just subscribe to us for a dollar a month and you'll get access to all sorts of mm. goodies and things behind the scenes. Yes, yes. And uh, we recommend you do. Yes, we and do. And yet we don't want to feel you're compelled to. We don't want to guilt you into it. Just saying, it's a thing you can do. And we will love you more because of it. That is a scientific fact. Mm. You know, Tested by CSIRO? Probably. Yeah. I assume. There's a test for that, and mm. they've done it, and we came through with flying colours. Yes, so next week is the last week of the month, which means it's a news episode. And, and boy, there's been do we some have news. news for you. Yeah. Oh, we've got yeah. so much I think news. we'll have to do a bit of pruning, to be honest. I think we'll just... Or, or a bit a bit of summarising, rather than going into... Some Although, actually, by this time next week, the impeachment's probably going well, to be God, over Well, God, who the hell knows? With. Jesus, I don't... Yeah. I mean, we actually might be going, yeah, Trump news, it's, it, it, it's just over again. Yeah. Uh, so... Join us next week for that, uh, if, if conspiracy news is what you're into, or join us in two weeks when we'll talk about something else. There's always something to talk about in the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, and with that, it's Tootly Pip from me. And it's Pippily Tood from me, I guess. Episode 250, it's Pippily Tood. Hmm. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Denton. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com.
250 episodes. I know, it's been, what, five years of content? Yep, we've had our ups, we've had our downs. So, so many downs. Too many, really. But 250, well, we thought we would never get here. After all, we thought episode 113 would be the last. Mm, that was the episode just before you went to Bucharest, the first time. Indeed, but we, we persevered. Oh, that's my line. Oh. Because mm. <laughs> now I've got nothing. <laughs> well, that's the end of the 250th <laughs> yep. ep episode. We promised we'd only do one take from here on in, and if we mm -hmm. foul it up, we just put it online and we walk away. Uh, so join us next week when we foul up the intro to the news episode and don't record anything ever again. Excellent.